Hello and welcome back to our analysis of Blitz Scalable Venture Deals. I am, as always, Chris Yeh, and I'm joined by my two partners in Blitz Scaling Ventures One, Scott Johnson and Jeff Abbott. How are you guys doing? Happy New Year. It is. You're right. It's 2024. Wow. Happy New Year to you. Um, obviously, we've been talking since the new year, but uh, this is our first podcast of the new year. And we have and Jeff we with us, which is great. Happy New Year, guys. Great to be back on the show. Well, you're going to be playing a starring role in this show, Jeff, because this time, so a little peek behind the curtain, folks, the way we do it is we divide up the deals by stage. And it turns out that most of the deals we're talking about were at the seed stage, which is the stage that Jeff happened to cover for this month. So he's going to be taking the lead on some of those. But before we get to the individual companies, Scott, what is happening in the broader industry? How did the numbers come out for December? Or, I mean, well, if you recall, in October, we were kind of optimistic because the numbers were up. We yeah. had 77 total deals and it was 71 in September and that was the best you know, month. And remember, these are announcements of deals. The deals could have happened various times, but these are announcements. And usually announcements are, you know, a positive indicator. You don't announce deals that are inside. You don't announce deals that, you know, you're not proud of. So um, when you get a lot more announcements, it's sort of an indicator of optimism. And and uh, we were hoping that that was going to continue. But remember, we were skeptical because November is a shortened month because of Thanksgiving. And then December is even worse because of end of the year stuff where, you know, just nothing's going on. So it's a uh, um, it's it's unfortunately we're down back to sort of below 60 mm. We're at 52 deals announced in November. And so kind of the, the 2023 malaise seems to have continued through November. And I can tell you December was also sort of in that same, same range. So it's, it would, we'll do that podcast in a little bit, but I think the end of the year was more of a limp to the finish line than a strong acceleration to the finish line. And we well, talked about seed deals. So seed deals were half of the deals, 48% of the deals. The most active investor was General Catalyst. And it's usually General Catalyst or um, Andreessen or Excel. Um, if you look across all the, all the year, this year was Andreessen, one, two, three, four, five, six times. So half the time, General Catalyst three times and Excel once and Lightspeed actually was the the most uh, active in August, so the that's not changed. Got the um, ratio to international and the ratio ABC, you know, those are still all very pr pretty consistent. Although there, there are very few C rounds in announced in November, so it looks like one. And so overall, you know, kind of a you know a typical as far as ratios go, but not super uh, active for uh, the investors that we follow. Well, I would say there are two things that are interesting about that. I think the first is that when we looked at the downturn, we were wondering, hey, how is it going to compare to something like 2008? How is it going to compare to 2000? And what we saw was we felt like we were going to line up in between uh, and the minimum time period of downturn would be five quarters or so, so over a year. And we have now exceeded that. So it looks like we're definitely going over the 2008 level of downturn. 
And in terms of the year 2000 downturn, I don't think we've gotten there yet. But, you know, it's extending longer than I think we would necessarily like, because, again, we like to root for good things. The second is just imagine how bad things would look if there weren't an AI wave and boom happening right now. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's so important because there is a ton of excitement in Silicon Valley right now, despite all the sort of legacy malaise on, you know, companies that raised a lot of money and now are struggling to raise and continue growing. The newly minted AI companies have uh, completely, it's almost they're occupying a different universe. And there's a ton of excitement around that. The events that we are hosting are oversubscribed and full of energy and raw excitement. And it's absolutely go-go times in Silicon Valley, just only in that subsector. Well, let's see what sort of pattern emerges when we talk about the individual companies. So the first company on our list, which did not quite make it, but we found interesting, is a company called Keychain. So Jeff, what's Keychain all about? So Keychain falls into a pattern that we've liked before and has been covered in previous podcasts, companies like Zetwork several years ago. And what they're essentially doing here is building a platform for retailers or producers of consumer packaged goods brands to consult a marketplace of producers, manufacturers who have available capacity, and then reserve that capacity and actually commission them to, to make their products for them. So it's meant to be a one-stop shop that connects store brands with CBG manufacturers. And they raised an $18 million seed round in the month of November from Lightspeed Ventures. There's not much else available about them. They claim that they're going to be launching with the network of over 10,000 manufacturers. But at this point, aside from a, a small one or two articles, there's, there's precious little information available on the website. So it was hard to give them a, a really well-educated score, but... Um, but let's talk about the score we did give them. Yeah, so we love this model overall because, as you may recall from many discussions of marketplaces, we love it when the transaction size is large, when selection matters, and when it's a high consideration purchase. And something like outsourced manufacturing absolutely fits into this category, which is why we originally like Zetwork so much. So this is a 10 out of 10 winner take most because of the fact that you are going to go to the dominant player and dominant marketplace if you are one of these people looking for manufacturing. Where this deal struggles a bit is on the viral growth or distribution because Unlike Airbnb, which is sort of, if you will, the gold standard here, or even Craigslist, buyers don't become sellers, sellers don't become buyers. A CPG company doesn't suddenly become an outsourced contract manufacturer and vice versa. And so we don't have that beautiful bleed through, which leads to natural viral growth. And so I think we actually scored this as a seven, which by our definition, using our formula means it cannot actually hit the magical 80 out of 100 that we consider blitz scalable. Yeah. And, you know, this is a common problem with companies that need to sell to enterprise. It's not often that you have a wonderful channel that makes the, the sales cycle shorter or just uh, hands the leads to you on a platter or, or becomes suddenly viral the way uh, Slack has done. So it's, you know, it's, it's just tougher with enterprise facing companies to get a high score in distribution. Sometimes through partnerships, you can get up above seven into eight or nine. And sometimes there is virality. So um, it's, it's tough. And it's interesting, though, 
because marketplaces, you would naturally think, oh, you want a blitzscale marketplace. You just have to. And I think they still want to become the dominant player because that's going to create a lot of value in this business. But it doesn't get to 80 for us just because it's going to have to be a one by one sell to all the people that might want to do these uh, private label products. And folks may be asking themselves, well, how did Zetwork get to this point? Well, the key is that Zetwork was further along, already had achieved the kind of scale and critical mass of getting people in. Here we have a company that's just launching. And so it has not yet proven its ability to sweep up the marketplace. In terms of product market fit, we gave, since it's early, we gave it a 7 out of 10. Again, we have nothing to go on. They haven't really launched yet. Their website's very sparse. Market size and gross margin, 10 out of 10, 10 out of 10. This is a huge market. This is a marketplace business. That's great. Org scalability, we kept them down at a seven because this is a lot of manual work to sort of normalize and figure it out. And of course, they're planning to use artificial intelligence, but we don't know how they're doing it. And operational scalability, eight out of 10, because again, you need to get involved to some extent to make sure that things get delivered on time. You want a reputation for a good transaction, not just say, hey, we found you and connect you on the marketplace. We do nothing beyond that. Good luck. Yeah, we're speculating that there's some project management involved here, which means you got to hire people as you scale. And they're not just sort of easy people to hire. They have to be people who understand this process. So there's going to be some, you know, some people intensiveness to the growth here, which definitely knocks down the org scalability score. Now, the founders are Harvard Business School alumni, classmates from the class of 2013, but that does not count in our model. And so it remains a 74, which was short. But we mentioned it because we're like, hmm, we like this kind of model. Let's keep an eye on them. Let's put them on our watch list. And again, since this is not a specifically AI deal, I know they say they use AI, but every company can say they use AI. It may very well be we'll let this one mature and maybe we'll take a look at it after the Series A or before the Series A if new news comes out. And it's not like, by the way, they're out of uh, New York City and it's keychain.com if you want to go see their very sparse website. Go ahead. Jeff. Yeah, another, another thing to note here is we're we're not starting from ground zero here. If this truly is a platform, they're aggregating many many companies that are today known as co-packers that today are responsible for producing most CPG goods for for private labels. And so those co-packers may even resist participation if it's if it's going to cut against their margin if they have established relationships. So um, it, it will be interesting to see who who this benefits more the the, the buyer or the seller. Excellent. Now, Jeff, this next company, Craftwork, you had some personal experience, albeit from some time ago in this industry. Why don't you tell us about Craftwork and also tell us about your personal experience? Well, Craftwork is interesting. It's a platform that's essentially trying to aggregate the, what I would say, the informal home painting or residential home painting market by allowing the homeowner to come onto a platform and provide some basic information about the job they need to get done and get a fixed price quote, while on the other side, providing employment to people who either are currently painters or would like to become painters and, and get some training. What's interesting is it's not a um, a fractional market. They're actually employing these, these home painters, giving them steady benefits, steady work, almost like a, a union type of experience. Um, but this market is very fragmented. It's a very large market um, by some accounts between 20 and, and 40 billion, and everybody needs their home painting jobs done. And we can all relate to the experience of how difficult it is to find a reliable 
contractor because so much of this is is informal. So I can really see the benefit. Um, and the experience I mentioned is, well, when I was 19 and, and wanted to 20X my summer income, I started a home painting company with a couple of friends and quickly went out and learned how to paint houses and or at least sell the service of painting houses and, and grew that business uh, into a pretty large business for several years doing university. But of course, I went back to school um, and many people continue on as, as professional painters or, or just people who make a living of painting. So where do they go? The people that that actually want to continue as painters. And this does sort of answer that question between informal summer work and full-time union uh, by providing a lot of the same reliability and, and maybe longer-term consistency that a union might offer without actually being a union and, and increasing costs in, in, the, in the way that a union would. Now, one of the interesting things about this deal is where it's located and where its initial markets are, because it is not a Silicon Valley deal, although it has plenty of Silicon Valley investors in it. It is a YC deal, though, and it's a it's a YC deal number two for two of the founders. And I suspect that's why they're maybe able to start it in. Uh, it says it's out of uh, out of Charlotte, North Carolina, and they're starting in several markets around there. But you could imagine this model scaling very quickly because the people like me when I was a summer painter, they're already out there painting houses. And if they found it a better option to to come paint for for craft work, it would be very easy to to fill up the the supply side of the platform. And having dealt with contractors, continuing to deal with contractors in my own house odyssey, it is astonishing. The entire industry seems to operate under the principle of, hey, can your uncle do this? Right. So having professionalism, having ratings, having reliability could make it pretty compelling. Well, Forerunner Ventures seems to think so. And General Catalyst is also in here. And so, you know, they've got some quality money. They've got um, a, you know, a, a good idea. It's a seed deal. So we don't know how quickly it's going to take. We don't know much of anything about their operating metrics, but we do know that it scored an 80. So how the heck did it get there, Chris? Yeah, well, first of all, as you heard with our keychain example, this is larger ticket size, relatively high consideration because you want a reliable painter. You think about it. And so part of it is you end up in a situation where you become like an eBay power seller, where you've done all these jobs and people are like, yeah, these folks are reliable. That ends up translating into a true winner take most market, 10 out of 10. In terms of viral growth or distribution, uh, just a little bit easier to get distribution when it comes to house painting. Uh, there are obvious targets to go after, direct mail, all these sorts of things are relatively straightforward. You can advertise on Yelp and so on and so forth. It's just, just a lot easier than trying to reach contract manufacturing. That being said, still not awesome. We gave it an 8 out of 10 because there is not necessarily a clear sort of virality where simply by hiring painters, more painters come in. Now, there is a little bit of this. And a little bit of this is if you're an enterprising painter and you have a great reputation on craft work, you may very well use that effectively as your website if you're marketing your own services, because that's the place where you have your craft work store, where you have your reputation, where you want to funnel deals so that people give you a better and better rating. So there's a little bit of that, at least it helps slightly. And in the end, eight out of 10 just allows it to clear it. 
uh, product market fit, we gave an eight out of 10. Just a little more on distribution. I think yeah. the homeowners talk, you know, so there's word of mouth. There isn't sort of natural virality here that happens built into the painting product, obviously. You know, they're not, you didn't, you're not painting the Kraftwerk logo on your living room wall so that all the neighbors see it. But neighbors do talk. So I, you know, that's usually how you figure out who's going to do your stonework or your, you know, seal coat your driveway. And general or contractors also talk. So oh, yeah. that's also a part of it. So, yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, product market fit, eight out of tens, relatively straightforward. They've already got up and running in a number of different markets. Seems to be working. Market size, we debated about this because we're like, is house painting really a big enough market? But it is, you know, $20, $40 billion here in the United States. And so we ended up saying, well, it gets a 10, even though it's not a trillion dollar market. I still don't know how I feel about that. But, you know, we're we're going to err on the side of generosity for the sake of this initial filter. Gross margin, you know, it's good margin. But we said, if you're actually taking painters on as employees, that's going to hit your margin some. And so we gave them a nine there. Same for org scalability and op scalability. We got that down to eight because, again, you're managing people, which is one of the reasons why the customers want to use it because they don't have to do that managing, but somebody's got to do it. And that ends up with an 80 overall. So just clearing the market. Again, I think there's still some debate about this. And one of the things we don't know yet, and it was mentioned in an article, is that it was referred to as a franchise. Um, so you could imagine entire painting crews coming on with their book of business if using this platform and letting them handle all the payroll and, and back office as well as much of the marketing was an attractive option for somebody that already had a small business. So this could go the way of, uh, you know, one of the real estate franchises or, or other fast growing companies like that. But we haven't seen a real tip of the hat if that's the direction this is heading in. Nonetheless, uh, again, interesting. And it's proof that there is stuff that happens outside of AI because this is not an AI deal. This is a real world deal. And ironically enough, one of the things about AI is AI may be able to automate a lot of stuff. There aren't robots to paint houses yet. Human beings are still the best way to do it. Yeah, but there will be. And they'll be awfully good at it. The robots will be better than the humans, but getting yeah. the robots to that point is not trivial. That's going to take a while. It's going to take a while. All right. Third and final seed deal. This was funny because the name, it turns out, I did not realize is part of pop culture. And that is Glenn Coco. So, Jeff, what the hell is Glenn Coco? Well, what is Glenn Coco? What is the pop culture reference that we had to dig for? Uh, it's used in the Mean movie. Girls, right? Mean Girls. Yeah. Yeah. Way yeah. to go, Glenn Coco. You go, Glenn Coco, something like that. Way you to have go, to watch Glenn Mean Coco. Girls. <laughs> Okay, well, hopefully enough people will remember that, that it's the company. Um, mean Girls has come back. There's a Mean Girls musical movie that's out. So Mean Girls is having a big, uh, big moment right now. Maybe they can maybe they can get a, a little uh, cameo for the Mean Girls here as they get started. But uh, Glenn Coco, I think, is fascinating because as they state on their website, there's hundreds of millions of business development people in the world. Every company needs more sales. And one of the most sought after jobs is a salesperson. So this is essentially a platform where an individual can come create an account, take part in free training that's provided about certain companies and their campaigns, and actually take a crack at selling that company's products. If they're able to, then they're rewarded for that, but it's also generating data so that the company can see who are the most effective salespeople. And on the other hand, 
then the the employee now has portable data to say, I've been effective on one, two, three, four, five campaigns, and they can either continue as an independent salesperson or make a case why they should become full-time at a particular company. So it's it's a real win-win, and, and you can see they've already got a, a, a fair amount of traction in terms of campaigns showing up on their, their marketplace platform. And this one is backed by Felicis and Crossbeam Ventures on our list. It's a... So it's interesting, you know, if you're a salesperson and you've spent 10 years selling into a particular industry, you've got a ton of contacts. And if you only have one thing to sell, then you can just sell that one thing. And so you can't really monetize the relationship to the extent that you could if you had more things that those same people might want to buy. So I think this is particularly well-targeted at people who've been salespeople for a while, have a nice list of relationships that they have created with through their hard work. And also those people are buyers for enterprise. So they they might buy all kinds of different stuff or or be part of the decision making process for for purchasing all kinds of different stuff. And you could essentially treat that list of contacts as an asset and monetize that asset by selling more things to them. I love this deal. I love this deal because it's, you know, Uber for telesales, but the key is it does have these sort of marketplace characteristics. And again, the difference between a good salesperson and a great salesperson is enormous. And this is the first time that salespeople can really be recognized as top performers. I completely agree. This is something where if you're a great salesperson, you might as well do a little Glenn Coco work to demonstrate how great you are in order to be able to impress future employers as well. And of course, make money. And it's AI powered, AI enabled, where AI is helping do all this stuff that I've often said that AI is going to have a huge impact on sales because there's all this stuff that great salespeople do, but takes a lot of work looking up the prospects, truly understanding what's going on. And this is something where Glenn Coco's AI could potentially help with that as well. So, and they make really it easy. Deal. They make it easy for the 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 seller to come onto the platform because the AI helps them generate the training modules. The by uploading a or briefly drafting something, following templates, it makes it very easy for them to put their campaign and their company online. So even that process is simplified. So it's a perfect application of AI. Yep. All right. So. Winner take most market again, 10 out of 10, because there is heavy differentiation. Once salespeople have a top Glen Coco score, they're going to want to continue to maintain that. It's going to be something that's valuable to them, even outside of Glen Coco. All these things are great. Viral growth or distribution. There is less of the buyers become sellers and sellers become buyers, but there is still some because again, the go-to-market personnel in the corporate world and the startup world do tend to move around a lot. And if Glen Coco worked for your company before, you'll probably use it at the next company as well. So we ended up giving it an eight out of 10. Uh, product market fit, it is up and running. There are real campaigns. People are making money. Gave it an eight out of 10. Market size, obviously 10 out of 10. This is huge. Gross margin, 10 out of 10. This is a marketplace business. Org scalability and off scalability. The beauty is no physical stuff all online and so we gave it nine and nine because you still have to handhold a little bit but it is all virtual i mean this is amazing right think about uber people go to uber and they just drive their car around and they make some money and that's why i'm not that high on uber overall but here the actual skill matters so much and the value of what you're doing is so high you can make so much more money 
this is just a great idea. It's one of the most focused cases of the labor marketplace that we've seen. And sales is um, is a specialty and AI helps it become broadly accessible to all the companies so that the skill of sales is what's being measured. Um, just like HubSpot has succeeded in measuring the skill of marketing, this could become a platform that uh, people adopt as agencies or as individuals. Uh, you could see it spreading very far and wide. Great. All right, final company of the day, and I'll take the lead on this one because I handled Series A deals this time out. This was one that I looked at, and I even have very light exposure to it. I have met the fellows before. This is a company called Vendelux, and what Vendelux does is they provide event intelligence for marketers and salespeople. They have proprietary data on all of these different conferences and events and things like that, and it's an enterprise sale. You go ahead, you sign up for Vendelux. And if you're doing marketing, it tells you who's likely to attend. It helps you identify the top prospects, who you should go after. It just makes trade marketing much more, uh, much more powerful. And the timing is good because coming out of the pandemic, people want to get back to doing things in person. And so they've been lifted by that rising tide. And the reason I've come into contact with them before is they are a tenacity portfolio company. Our old friend Ben Narison runs Tenacity, great seed investor. Uh, he's the seed investor in this deal. I've met the founders at least briefly at some of the Tenacity general annual meetings because I'm a small LP in Tenacity. And uh, I'm pretty excited. Ben likes them. I think we're going to try them out, try to see if we can get some useful stuff out of them. So the the amazing thing is that they have this predictive, or maybe they even know who individually is going to attend these conferences, and they and then they help you build a sort of okay, these are all the people you should meet, and you can and you can prioritize it, and just have a whole plan of attack when you're attending or when you're have a booth at an event, and they're really expensive these events, and it's exhausting, and if anyone's like I've I've been. A, had some display booths at trade shows and it is an exhausting time but you don't want to waste that time because you spend so much money getting there and being a part of it and so to have something that makes it much easier to optimize your time on the ground seems like that should do really well well let me put it this way as a marketer every time you went to a, co a conference event trade show or something like that the first thing you want to do is to say give me a list of everyone who's attending and the second thing is, tell me who I should actually talk with. And just imagine how much people would pay for that. Of course, the conference organizers don't do that. They do not allow you to do that unless maybe you're like a super high-end sponsor. But Vendelex does. And of course, this is a first mark deal. We really like first mark a lot. But as I mentioned, it's also a tenacity deal. And it's also a serve and ventures deal. Those are some smart guys based here and primarily in Palo Alto do a great job on B2B investing. Not as well known because they don't really publicize themselves, but great syndicate, great bunch of people involved. And uh, this ended up getting a pretty good score. So let's talk about the score. And they also got $14 million. I don't know if we mentioned that, but the, we had it's not. A, it's great a good point. size it's a good size. It's a good amount of money. It's an A round too. So they must be a little further along. Yes, they are. So winner take most market, it does not get a full 10 out of 10. They do have this proprietary data, which they continue adding to uh, through the work that they do. And this is something where you know, once you start using them, especially if they've got the events plugged in, it does tend to be sticky. 
but not a true marketplace, not something, not a communications platform, not something with hyper strong network effects. So pretty good. Nine. Viral growth or distribution, uh, also nine. And again, that's because not only do you have go-to-market folks who talk a lot, but literally the people they have in their database, event marketers, are the people that they are selling to. So they naturally have information on all the people they want to reach out to. And that's one of the reasons why they've been successful with their go-to-market. So we gave them a nine and a nine. So that you know can clear the bar. Product market fit, they are off and running, actually generating real revenues, six-figure deals. So eight out of 10. Market size, huge. Gross margin, software, enormous. So that's 10 out of 10, 10 out of 10. Org scalability, op scalability. You have customers, you want to hold their hands a little bit. You have some work maybe to clean up the data, but you know not bad. So nine out of nine, nine out of nine. And so this ends up, even though the number is different than Glenn Coco in terms of uh, Glenn Coco being a 10 out of 10 on winner take most, the upside on the virality side allows Vendelux to also hit a score of 82, which again, very exciting. Clears the bar. Just a reminder that 80 is our bar. And a further reminder, of course, that we're, there's a lot of guesswork here. This is, you know, we sort of take a look at the company. Chris knows a little bit about Vendelux, but usually the companies, we're just looking at them from outside with publicly available information and making it a preliminary assessment. Our investment process, this is the beginning of it, not anywhere near the end. We do a lot more work after we do a, a first pass like this. But nonetheless, it's always nice, even with reduced volume, to see a good crop of potential blitz scalers that we can begin to engage with. So I'm definitely pumped and excited. Uh, so Scott and Jeff, any final thoughts before we let our audience go? Because, you know, we got to get on to scoring so we can do our December deals podcast soon. So Chris, I, I have a, I, I, go ahead, Jeff. Sorry. I was going to say it's fascinating now that we're, you know, sort of nine to 12 months into the euphoria over AI to begin to see early stage and growth stage deals that are incorporating the blitzscaling elements, but also bringing in AI. So they're neither pure play AI or or not. It's it's interesting to start to see that convergence. And, and I think we have a couple here that illustrate that really well, which surely we'll be highlighting in further sessions. Absolutely. And Scott, you had a question. Yeah, Chris, I was just wondering how you're feeling about as we head into 2024, you know, like 2023, obviously a down year. Uh, we didn't do a lot of investing, um, you know, but we did um, do some pretty interesting stuff and AI is very exciting. And so I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if you're looking forward to 2024, you think it's going to be, you know, sort of more malaise and, and, and it's going to take a while to, to get back to, um, you know, more of a positive mindset in the venture world. How are you? It's impossible to predict, but I'm curious what you're thinking. So right now, I'm feeling very bullish on 2024. Uh, that is because we have not yet started to kick back into the upswing yet. So it's good vintage, good time to deploy money. I think we are getting to the point where we're going to start seeing the impact of AI on the cost structure of non-AI companies. I think people are going to start using AI before we hopped on. Jeff was just talking about how he found a great tool after many years of trying to translate or to transcribe our podcasts and create summaries of them. And he tried all these different products over the years. None of them worked. And he found one that worked perfectly. 
And I think that that's going to start happening more and more. People are going to start bringing AI into their companies. It's going to allow them to grow more capital efficiently. It's going to allow them to lower their cost structure. And so I do think that things are on the positive side. The biggest negative I see to 2024 is just the overall global uncertainty, geopolitics, all these things. We have a lot of armed conflicts going on. We have a lot of potential armed conflicts. We have a U.S. presidential election that promises to be hairy, to say the least. And so those are the things that have got me worried. But if I were just looking at the economic perspective and the impact of AI, I'd be extremely bullish. Certainly a great time to be an entrepreneur. It's, it's, it, you can raise capital in, you know, in the AI world, you can raise capital pretty readily and the just, it's just green fields everywhere. And so we're seeing a ton of interesting deal flow in that way. Awesome. Well, that is a great way to kick off our first podcast of 2024, even though it's for November 2023 deals. Next podcast coming up soon, we hope, will be about December 2023 deals. And then in February, it will be time to start talking about our first crop of 2024 deals. And we'll soon see if my optimism is justified or not. Well, on behalf of Blitzscaling Ventures, Scott Johnson, Jeff Abbott, I'm Chris Yeh, and thank you guys so much for tuning in. Uh, our loyal listeners, you know who you are. We appreciate the fact that you tune in month after month, and do tell a friend if you get a chance. Thank you very much.